0: Welcome to this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon, I'm Kevin Ingram. Always great to have you with us. A couple weeks into conference play around college basketball, a lot to get to. Some outstanding team performances and individual players and some coaches in some hot water. We'll cover all of it uh, over the next few minutes. Uh, Chris, I don't know what it's like where you are in Chattanooga, but I live just outside Nashville, and we've had about eight or nine inches of snow. We've had sub-zero temperatures and wind chills. Uh, It's been very wintry around here. I was very happy to uh, get out of the house and go do a game last night. Bit of a cabin fever going on, but what's it like for you there in Chattanooga?
1: In a word, good sir, frigid. Um, I just took the trash out, and there was like three inches of ice cakes on the and it, it added like 50 pounds to the weight of the thing <laughs> so i to chisel it off before i could get it down to the curb uh i think we got lucky chattanooga is i don't know for whatever reason it's right on that fault line uh, of when the the weather comes from uh the north and sometimes we get lucky and don't get it huh. and i really think that's the case because i know knoxville got about 10 inches and and you said you got seven or eight and and we got more ice wintry mixed and snow hardly any snow i mean you could drive easily the next morning yeah for us uh the the roads i went
0: out yesterday as the first time i've been out of the house in a couple days and uh, went over to campus to memorial gym to do the game and uh the interstates were fine we're supposed to have some more stuff come through a little bit later on today but uh was okay yesterday to get out uh, hopefully that'll be the case uh, again tomorrow and I know uh, the weather has interrupted some travel plans for some of the schools you mentioned uh, over in Knoxville I think Florida and Tennessee played that game a little earlier than it was uh, supposed was to be blocked, played yeah. back on Tuesday uh, I turned it on I was like wait a minute this game's in the second half and it's only like 5:30 or something uh, <laughs> what's going on here but uh, yeah it makes travel very challenging this time of year no question about it I did call Vanderbilt's game against Auburn last night the Tigers won 80 to 65 I thought Bruce Pearl's team was really impressive. Uh, they have basically two units of players. They, they can shuffle people in and out. It's almost like a, you know, a hockey line change. Jalen Williams was perfect shooting, scored 21 points with eight rebounds and three assists. Janai Broom had a double-double. But, Chris, they play very aggressive, and uh, it's going to lead to some fouls, which it did last night. But with the depth they have at every spot, it's really okay. And I think that team not only looks like a contender in the SEC, but they could really do some damage uh, when the tournament gets here.
1: You know, it's funny you mentioned because I was going to ask you that. Um, a lot of people are starting to realize even though they haven't played the, the toughest schedule, uh, in non-conference schedule, uh, or even really the hardest start in, in SEC play, they did go down to Arkansas and pounded them, but Arkansas is a team in disarray right now. So it's hard to say how dominant they can be, but I'll tell you what, if you've got – a lion ship like hockey like they do they're aggressive constantly Uh, they protect the rim as well as anybody in the country they shoot the basketball that they don't shoot it with a high uh, accuracy rate from three but they shoot a ton so Bruce wants 10 every game he'll get his 10 every game and so uh, they're, they're gonna be tough to deal with them and they're also one of the few teams that are rated in Ken Palm's top 10. In both offense and defense, they're number nine in both of those. So, uh, yeah, this is one of his better teams. And the thing I I think Bruce likes about it is they've kind of come up from the rear. You know, they weren't ranked preseason, and a lot of people didn't think they would be as good as they've been, but... I'll tell you, as, as you saw last night, they're pretty tough.
0: Yeah, they basically have uh, two of everything, including two outstanding point guards, starting with the, the the freshman Holloway, and then they can bring Donaldson in too, and you know, Cardwell, uh, one of their bigs, he's really athletic, but he's a big dude and uh, can really cause some problems. Jani and, broom. Yeah, Jani Broom. He's just, he's one of those crafty big guys. He, he seems like he's everywhere, grabbing rebounds, he can block shots, and, and play good defense. So, yeah, that, that team looks really tough, and uh, I thought they were impressive, and probably the best team I seen in person so far, uh, Vanderbilt's played, uh, we played at Ole Miss last Saturday, played LSU on the road to and played Alabama at home. I was kind of surprised that LSU beat Ole Miss last night. You know, the, the SEC, you look around at this league and, and I haven't seen, uh, Tennessee or Kentucky in person yet, or some of the others, but and they may not have as many ranked teams as some co- other conferences. But man, it's it's a really tough league. There's a lot of good teams. It feels like everybody's playing better. And you look at a team like Texas A&M, which was picked to be one of the contenders going in. You say, what is that team? They they played really well. I thought in that overtime win against Kentucky the other day. Then they lost at Arkansas. They fell way behind early in the game, and they they got it back within striking distance by halftime then ended up losing at the buzzer. So there there are some teams that are hard to figure out, but a
1: lot of really quality squads in that league. Yeah, even down to South Carolina, where actually I know Lamont Paris. He was at Chattanooga for five years, and, of course, I I teach there and got to know him really well, and I I think he's an intelligent and and thoughtful dude, but yet – I didn't think he was ready in year two uh, to win 13 games for the whole year, let alone by now. So he's done a pretty good job with with that club too. So you look all the way down to the bottom, Mike White has turned Georgia around as I knew he would. Uh, And then you mentioned uh, I've seen Tennessee live and I've seen every game that Kentucky's played on television those two teams are loaded, too. They've got firepower. So this is, I think, top to bottom, this this might be the best I've seen the SEC ever. Uh, and when you look at both Mississippi schools, you know, traditionally, Ole Miss, I mean, Ole Miss is last in the all-time SEC standings, you know, from whenever the league started to now. Um, uh, Andy Kennedy did a good job while he was there. But, you know, this is a team that, that could make some noise in the, in the NCAA. And I think the same thing with Mississippi state. So it's hard to look. I mean, I hate it for you guys. You know, somebody has got to lose uh, some games and, and I, I, I couldn't help but notice like, you know, the last two nights, uh, miles Studi at, at South Carolina, Jordan riot at LSU. Yeah. Those are former Vanderbilt players. You know, how much better could you guys be? if those guys would have just hung around.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting to uh, to, to see people playing other places and just how transfers in general shape all these teams. I mean, game in and game out, you see teams with – You know, five guys have been added to the roster that transferred in from other places, and some of them have a little more homegrown uh, talent or guys who've been around a little bit longer. In fact, Auburn is that way a little bit. I think I counted seven players for Auburn that played in the game last year uh, when they played at Memorial Gym, and in a lot of ways, that's really unusual, and uh, we'll head down and play at their place here in a couple weeks, and that'll be uh, even more difficult of a challenge because they have about the best home court advantage of anybody in the conference at at Auburn. And uh, Speaking of nice buildings, by the way, we played at the pavilion at old miss on saturday and i, I, I gotta that say that, that might be the nicest place i've ever been to a basketball game
1: it, it's really cool and they didn't overbuild it same with auburn they didn't overbuild it you know um ten thousand or whatever right and it's a realistic number and bruce as he does everywhere has energized the student body the fan base and they're right on top of you there it's just nuts and i i think it uh, I I didn't go to the Georgia-Tennessee game, but people who did told me that that's the loudest they've ever heard when Tennessee is there. There, were, there was a time not that long ago when Tennessee had almost as many fans as Georgia did.
0: Yeah, it's Degman Coliseum. Uh-huh. At Georgia. Right.
1: So now it was just so crazy. So it's it's a league that it, it took the SEC a while to, to decide we need to focus on this sport. We need to have a commissioner in charge of the sport. We we have to get more games on TV. Hey, start our own network. Print money. You know, and and they've really gone and done that.
0: Speaking of Tennessee, what about Dalton Connect? He is just having a fantastic season. And Blue Ribbon basically called it in in your preview story going into the year. A transfer from Northern Colorado. He's averaging 18 points and four rebounds. He's shooting 41% from three and 81% from the foul line. And what does Dalton Connect have in common with Allen Houston, Bernard King, Grant Williams? Uh, All multiple games uh, on the road with 35 or more points after the 36 he scored at Georgia. Followed that up with another terrific performance at home against Florida on Tuesday when he scored 39. What about the season that guy is having and just how versatile he is to not only shoot it from the outside, but he can drive and slam on people. He's kind of a big body, just a really impressive player that uh, Tennessee was able to, to nab into portal from northern Colorado
1: it's really crazy. Uh, only four players in Tennessee history, as you said, have scored 34 or 35 or more on the road multiple times, uh, to have their name in the rafter Bernard King or their jerseys in the rafter Bernard King and Allen Houston. The third is gonna grant Williams, but that was done. Bernard played three years, Allen four. grant three, uh, Dalton connected it in four games, uh, four games on the road. And, uh, yeah, I went. I went to see them practice in <clears throat> in June, and I had watched a ton of tape on the kid. I I knew that that you know he had a big lanky body. He was athletic. He's got a ton of dog in him. I mean, he's still on on his Twitter page. He's got Tennessee number three slash JUCO product. Hmm. You know, he got no D one offers out of out of high school, and he had to go JUCO he's got a chip on his shoulder about that. And and he's proud of it. You know, he, he was a D one, a Juco all American, but what, what I was struck, I watched a ton of tape and I knew what he could do. The only fault I could see in him, the only one was that he shot sort of a flat ball, you know, and sometimes flat ball shooters can be streaky. You got to get it up above the rim if you want to be a consistent shooter and, and but by the time I saw him practice in June and he couldn't have been there more than 2 or 3 weeks, Rick Barnes already had him shooting the ball over his head. And at 6-6 with long arms, you can't get to his jumper. And the, the other thing that not a lot of people talk about, and I know because I did this, <clears throat> I didn't play college ball, but I did this as a kid. I, I would stand under the backboard and see left and right how many shots I could make and how I could bounce them off the board and and how high I could get them and how low I could get them and if I could bounce it off the front of the backboard and in. This guy's got all that. And he's got it on the dead run. And what's funny is Zakai Ziegler, their point guard, Rick Barnes just points at him. And he's bringing it up the floor and and he just passes it over to connect it's essentially making him the point guard and he either drives, scores, gets fouled, he's become a good uh, passer too so the guy's unbelievable in his last three games he sh- he's scored 28, 36 and 39. he's shooting 57% from the floor. 56 from three and 83 from the line. That'll get it done, dude.
0: Yeah, that will get it done every time. Uh, He's just having a really impressive season. And uh, Tennessee will be back in action on Saturday. They'll host Alabama, which should be an interesting challenge, too. And uh, yeah.
1: If if this, as you can tell by my voice, if if I'm not dead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We have to put you on voice rest for a couple days before before you head over to Knoxville. (laughs) Right. If he's not dead.
1: uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, hopefully I'll make it. And and, uh, yeah, I definitely have to go on voice rest after my class today. I hope I can get through that sucker.
0: Well, you, you don't want to be uh, yelling at anybody like uh, Texas coach Roddy Terry was of the UCF players, uh, that, that horns down was classless when they went through the handshake line after oh, the Longhorns uh, lost 77-71. UCF has become uh, uh, quite the uh, interesting story there in their first year in the Big 12. They've already picked off Kansas and Texas. Yeah. But, but uh, it, it's been an interesting uh, couple of days for coaches having interactions with players. Uh, you saw that with Roddy Terry and also had Nate Oates who I thought was very lucky to not get a technical foul or a suspension for pushing Aiden Shaw of Missouri during the game on Tuesday. Uh, Nate Oates apologized. He got a reprimand from Greg Sankey, but uh, probably lucky that there wasn't more for him. And uh, you just can't put hands on another team's
1: player. I'll tell you what, I'll preface preface my comment by this. I love Nate Oates. He's intelligent. One of the most intelligent coaches, uh, revolutionary coaches in the game. He's a good dude whatever reason that game was chippy and uh, Aiden Shaw ended up in basically in their huddle or on their sidelines and he laid hands on him. You cannot do that. You cannot lay hands on a player period. Uh, Dennis Gates and you know, Dennis Gates is a smart guy too. He graduated from Cal in three years and he's, I mean, you got to check his pulse. Sometimes he is chill. So he says, in his chill way, he says, I propose to you this question. If a player had laid hands on an opposing player in that same situation, that's an automatic technical. And you know, if the refs look at it on the monitor, they might even say that constitutes throwing a punch or something, which means you're out and you're out the next game and nothing happened in Nate. Now, he did get this reprimand. You know, the, the SEC had to do that. And he, uh, to Nate's credit, he he ran down Dennis right after and He apologized. He apologized to Aiden Shaw. He opened his press conference with an apology again. Uh, but I'll tell you what, whoever you are, in whatever situation you're in, you got to be Dennis Gates. You You got to be joe cool and and you just can't put you can't put hands on somebody man you just can't do it and as far as the Rodney Terry, can I, can I tell him about the meme you sent me?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll set this up for you.
1: That, you set that up.
0: <laughs> so the, last year during the NCAA tournament, there was a lot of talk that Rodney Terry looked like Gustavo Fring, the, the character yeah. from, from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, yeah. uh, played by Giancarlo Esposito, just one of the great villains uh, in, in TV oh, show history. And uh, I was thinking, you know, if – if it had been Gus Fring in a situation like this, he would have just sent Mike Ehrmantraut or one of his associates to take yeah. care of business. But instead, Rodney Terry said, no, I'm going to handle this myself right here in the handshake
1: line. Yeah, you, you sent me this uh, this text. It said, uh, Rodney Terry told him if they do horns down one more time, he's going to send one of his associates. <laughs> and it was a picture of of uh, the actor, Jonathan Banks, who played Mike Ehrmantraut in Breaking Bad. And I literally about fell out of my chair. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, dude, you, you don't get enough credit for, for being as funny as you are. <laughs> you're, low key, you're low key too. And, and as clever as you are thinking of, of connections, uh, and, and thinking of them quickly, but I laughed, I about fell out of my chair when, when I, when I saw that. And the thing about Rodney, I watched the tape. It wasn't just like. Hey, that was classless. He's shaking. Everybody's saying that was classless. Don't do that. Believe. <laughs> Don't do that. Bleed. I mean, every one of them. And uh, what really, I'm sure, made him mad. They lost at home, you know? And and they are already on the bad side of the bubble. They're one and three in the Big 12. So, yeah, I, I, I expect he's... He, never, he wishes... He wishes that Mike Irvinchai was a real dude. <laughs> you know, one of my things He'd probably is probably put him out on his staff. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I don't know if you want that guy on your coaching staff or not. He he, he could be your enforcer. He could definitely lay hands on you. Right, for sure. But what are you going to do about it? Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: if that was like if if that was him instead of Nate Oates and, and uh, Greg Sankey uh, gave him a reprimand. He he'd send uh Greg a text and I'll be paying you a little visit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, then, then Mike would get to the office and go, "This is how it's going to go." <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. You're going to retract that, and we're going to act like it never happened. That's how Armored Trout. He he wasn't just a dumb thug, man. He knew what to do because he was an ex-cop.
0: Right, right. He was uh, he was an interesting character with with a soft okay. spot for his family. Uh, back to business here. Where were we? Uh, oh, as long as we're talking about uh, disciplinary things, uh, the ACC reprimanded NC State's DJ Horn for double birds at the free throw line with two and a half seconds left was, in their uh, – 83-76 win the other night as well. So man, it was a little chippier in conference bird. play. It
1: was a subtle double bird. Try saying that three times fast. Subtle double bird. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a double bird. And, you know, again, you just can't do that. <laughs> you, you just can't. But uh, you know what? It, it's funny. I, I The sum total of all this, it's January, baby. Uh, you are playing already for your postseason lives. And Rodney Terry don't want to get out one and three in this in the big, big 12. He just doesn't. And so when he heard that horns down it, <laughs> it just got to, and you know, he's a, he's a really good dude too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you must really, that must've really gotten under his skin. For him to react that way. Right. It must have really gotten under his skin. So uh anyway. Yeah, and
0: the, the NC State game uh, they were playing Wake Forest. So uh yeah, double birds for the Deacons.
1: My buddy Steve Forbes, I wonder how he thought about that. <laughs> now Steve has never won the curse or anything, so I'm sure he didn't say much.
0: By the way, UConn number one this week in the AP poll, first time since two thousand nine, that surprised me a little bit. Gonzaga yep. falls out of the rankings for the first time in eight seasons. I was looking at their conference Great. standings in the West Coast Conference. Could this be the year that their long streak of tournament appearances is in jeopardy? That's a tough league. There's some good teams. They lost to Santa Clara by one point, but St. Mary's is good. I saw San Francisco a few weeks ago, and I thought that team was really impressive. So uh, it's a tough neighborhood in that conference in Gonzaga. They may have an uphill climb, and even though they're still having a good season, but not necessarily by, by Gonzaga standards, what we've expected over the, gosh, the last 20 years or so.
1: Yeah, they've played in the NCAA every year since 1999. That's when Don Monson took him to the Elite Eight and then he immediately parlayed that into the Minnesota job. Mark Few, who is still employed, uh, has not parlayed their success, uh, at Gonzaga, which has been considerable His winning percentage. I, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's in the high eighties. It's off the charts they have never not been to the NCAA in his tenure, which began in 2000. Now here's the problem right now. They're 49 in the net. They have zero, zero quad one wins. They only have three more opportunities for quad one wins at San Francisco at St. Mary's. And I don't know why they scheduled this in February, but at Kentucky, I, well, I do know why he wanted to get quad one opportunities and you know, before anybody thinks, Oh, as the bubble burst there. They lost four of their top five scores from an elite eight team, including drew Timmy. And, uh, you know, uh, another kid who would have been, uh, their version of Dalton Connect, a kid named steel venters who came from Eastern Washington, another big guard who can shoot it. He blew out his ACL. So they've had to replace a bunch of guys and, and it's been a little tougher than they thought. And, as always, they schedule ruggedly as well. So they're faced, they're on that wrong side of the bubble as we speak. So I hope they can get it turned around. I really do because that program has been a model of consistency. And you talk to people around the country, coaches, Mark few is, is friend to all. I mean, he, the cat doesn't have an enemy, you know? So, um, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I hope they write the ship.
0: The Ivy League has usually been a one-bid conference. Could they get two this time, Chris? Uh, Princeton, they're number 31 in the net. They're 14-1 and with a 2-0 conference record. I was looking at Cornell and Yale. Cornell was 87 in the net. They're also unbeaten in conference and 12-3 and overall. Yale, they came up just short of making the big dance last year. They lost in the conference final. 105 in the net, uh, 11-6 with a 2-0 league record in the Ivy. If Princeton won the league but got upset in the tournament, is there a chance they still got in as an at-large if one of those other teams uh, is going from the league?
1: Well, I hope so. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to get a quad one win, but uh, they'll be favored in the rest of their games, and if they win them, they'll be 27-1. and And based on what – well, I know the committee doesn't base anything on what happened in the tournament uh, past, but Princeton's not going to be afraid. So – I don't think that would be a bad pick at all, especially if you talk to Joe Lenardi, which we often do. uh, He'll tell you that it's a struggle to get to those last four teams or so that deserve to be in. So if Princeton were to get upset, and remember the Ivy just has four teams in its postseason tournament. right? So it's, you know, it's possible they could get upset and the winner would get the automatic bid. I, I really believe that. Uh, what would it be uh, a 28 and two Princeton team with already six true road victories. And they'll add to that. Likely, I believe they would deserve. And I know Joel Lenardi feels this way too, but I believe they would deserve a, an at large bit in the tournament couple of fun
0: items as we finish up here. Uh, what about the Fab Five reunion in Ann Arbor the other night? Uh, there wasn't really anything official, but they were all together on campus for the first time in more than 30 years. And you, you think about that team They went to back-to-back championship games in 92 and in 93. Juwan Howard, of course, is the head coach of Michigan, but Chris Weber, uh, Ray Jackson, Jimmy King, and of course, uh, Jalen Rose. The banners might not be in the rafters anymore at Chrysler Arena, but we all know how good they were and, and what they really meant uh, to basketball and to kind of culture at that time. Uh, I thought that was really cool to see all those guys together again for the first time in three decades.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, they hadn't exactly gotten along, some of them, uh, over the course of the last three decades. It's starting to make me feel old because I saw them uh, in Atlanta, the – East Tennessee State upset Arizona in the first round and then played uh, the Fab Five. And I know the ETSU uh, coaches were really pumped. Jeff Lebo, who's now on the North Carolina staff, was on that staff for ETSU. And I remember him being really excited. Man, we got a chance. You know, these are a bunch of young guys and we've got veterans. They got hammered by those, (laughs) those freshmen. So, yeah, that was a special team. And I remember the way it ended for them. Uh, when Chris Weber, uh, what, what he called a timeout that they didn't Yeah, in have. the game
0: against North Carolina in the Superdome. Yeah.
1: That was a tough one, but uh, they're definitely, they'll go down in, in history as one of the most, if not the most accomplished group of freshmen ever. So, uh, it's good to see them get back together, kick it a little bit. Uh, like I said, uh, they, there was some grousing going on. I think some of them were mad at Weber and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's it's kind of like a band. Uh, uh, let's say the band, uh, where Levon Helm, the great voice uh, and singer, was a little mad at the late Robbie Robertson because Robbie got all the royalties for songwriting. If you've got song publishing, as you know, you're from Nashville. If you got song publishing, you're set for life, and that's what breaks up a lot a lot of bands. It's, it's like some people profit more than others. And Chris Webber definitely did well. I don't know if that's what caused any friction, but it was good to see them back and, and kicking it again because that was a special era and a special group.
0: You know, it's funny. Uh, I, I never saw him play altogether, uh, other than on TV, obviously. And uh, you talk about going to those championship games, lost to North Carolina in, in 93 and, and got beat by Duke in, in Minneapolis in 92. But I, I saw four of the five play uh in Wichita Kansas in 1994 uh Western Kentucky uh, we went out there to see Western play Texas and the game before us was Michigan and I'm drawing a blank on who they were playing but it was four of the five you know Chris Webber had already left and gone pro but the other four were still there so I saw him play then and then I actually saw the end of the Fab Five completely the following year in Dayton Western Kentucky played Michigan in the first round and Jimmy King and Ray Jackson were still on the team for Michigan, and, and uh, Western ended up winning in overtime. Uh, Michael, I remember Michael that Michael Fralick hit a three-descended overtime, and, and Western ended up winning. And that, that was the end. That was the last two, and that was their final game. And I always thought that was really interesting. I didn't see Chris Weber play in person, but I did run into him in the airport uh, a few years later. I was, I was walking through the airport at, at BWI, the Baltimore-Washington airport, I'm walking along there, and I'm not—I I'm, don't know what I was doing. I wasn't half paying attention. I think I was looking at my plane ticket or something, trying to figure out where I was supposed to go, and and I sort of bumped into this guy, and and you know, it's totally by accident. I was like, oh hey, excuse me, sorry about that, and and he said he said the same thing, hey, sorry man, uh, no problem, and and I thought to myself, hey, that guy looks like Chris Weber. And then I realized it was Chris Weber, and, uh, and he, he, he couldn't have been nicer. Like he was very friendly, and we just kind of went on. But uh, th- those were my uh, connections with, with the Fab Five, which, uh, again, to think about that team in that era, uh, I, I just thought that was one of the great eras of college basketball. I love 90s basketball. I, I just thought there's so many great teams and great players during that time period. Uh, we'll finish up talking about another basketball great. Marquette's Hall of Famer, Dwayne Wade, uh, of course, pro basketball legend and and hall of famer there too but he made a three million dollar gift to his alma mater and uh reading the release uh, said it will make a major impact on three areas of the university will extend a a summer reading program establish the wade scholars and support a new men's basketball practice facility and uh an expansion of the athletic and human performance research center i don't care who you are or how much money you have you donate three million dollars that is a, a significant donation to your alma mater
1: yeah, that's not chump change, and and it shows you what kind of guy he is and how much he appreciates, you know, he played for Tom Crean then, and how much he appreciates what Mark Marquette did for him, and he's paying it back. It especially touched me. One of the, part of the gifts will be to grow the summer reading program. I, I think I've told you this, but I, I sit on the board of our local College Dale, Tennessee uh, Public Library, and this summer, I signed up uh, for, to sign up kids for the summer reading program. Hmm. And if I was sitting there at a little desk and you know, I was telling kids, "Hey, come on over check this out. You know, You read this much uh, every day, just 20 minutes for, for a month, you get a free book and some prizes and stuff. And I just remember signing up, I signed up 19 kids in an hour. And I think that was uh, the record for or any of us board members that you know did it. And you know how I am—I'm a little bit of a huckster. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to be when you're when you're selling your own book. But uh, I called these kids over, and it was just the coolest thing. I, I mean, they, I just like reading. I, I introduced reading to my kids and my grandkids, and I was so fortunate that my parents introduced it to me and. I had a first grade teacher, I'll never forget her name, Miss Friday. She also taught my mother. And she encouraged me to read. And to this day, I read every day as much as I can get my hands on, magazines, newspapers, websites. I have two books going on at all times because I've got so many I gotta catch up to. But Dwayne Wade, man, what a dude. Three million bucks, man, that's, that's no small i don't care how much he's made that that's a generous gift and uh his heart was in the right place i always wish i had
0: the kind of money to do stuff like that i think it would be great just just to drop big sums of money on places
1: that are important to you dude if i had steve jobs money i'll tell you what there would not be a person in this country homeless unless they just wanted to be Uh, unless that's you know that's how they wanted to kick it and uh uh, Danny Thomas St. Jude's Hospital, they would never again have to ask for money because I would give them all they would ever need uh, to operate until eternity. So uh, that's what you can do when you got, you know, that kind of money, uh, uh, Jeff Bezos money, uh, Bill Gates money. Um, yeah, I, I would love to have that opportunity to do what Dwayne did.
0: Well, looking forward to the weekend coming up. Uh, Saturday's schedule has three games with two top 25 teams facing off. Iowa State at TCU. BYU plays at Texas Tech. Those games in the Big 12. And in the SEC, Ole Miss at Auburn. Uh, Rebels number 22 off a loss against LSU. And Auburn ranked number 13. They'll be back at home. That should be a fun one to watch. Uh, All up and down, you see some great matchups. Uh, I mentioned the SEC Alabama plays at Tennessee and Georgia at Kentucky. But we'll be back with you next week for another edition of the Blue Ribbon Podcast. Chris, rest that voice. You, you got a class to teach. You got a road trip to make. Uh, and uh, hopefully the weather will cooperate.
1: Yeah, safe travels. I know you had to go to LSU when when you thought the, uh, there there's tornadoes coming. And I think you said this last week you had to sit on, on the tarmac for a while. So uh... – be careful, bro.
0: Yeah, we sat on the tarmac. Then we got off the plane and ended up going the next day. And yeah, and was, that was a
1: shrewd move,
0: yeah, I think. Yeah. Then we went to Ole Miss, and then of course this week we've navigated around the snow here in Nashville, and hopefully won't be too bad. We're supposed to play at uh, Mississippi State on Saturday. But
1: uh, watch out for Mike trial. Yeah, I
0: will. I will. He's Chris. I'm Kevin. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We will talk to you next time.